I want everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Galatians. Today we'll be in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, 4 to 7. So like, like many of you, Mallory and I try uh, to watch all of our favorite Christmas movies during the Christmas season. And one of the, or the first one that we watched this year was Elf. Now, I hope all of you have seen Elf. Uh, but it's about a human named Buddy who was raised by Santa's elves who uh, as, finds out he's essentially homeless when he learns that he's not an elf. Uh, he has a dad who lives in New York. Uh, and so the whole movie, though, is about how Buddy, uh, he doesn't really fit in anywhere. Sorry, let me try to fix this. But it, the whole... Okay, hopefully that works. No, it's okay. I'll just use this. I'm going to take my coat off. Sorry to be a little unorthodox here. It's hot anyway. Uh, you all can feel that. Okay, so uh, anyway, the movie Elf, it's about this, uh, about this guy named Buddy, right, who finds out he's essentially homeless uh, because he's a human and he doesn't belong with Santa's elves and he has a dad in New York. Uh, and so the whole movie, though, is about how Buddy doesn't really fit in anywhere, right? He can't be an elf. He's not an elf because he's too big, and he doesn't really fit in with humans because, well, he likes sugar too much. He eats uh, spaghetti with chocolate syrup and marshmallows and sprinkles and a Pop-Tart, too. So like Buddy, I, I, feel, um, I feel like I don't fit anywhere these days. As followers of Christ, we don't really fit in anywhere. Our identity is too heavenly and our obedience is too radical to really be acceptable by anyone or contained by a certain group. And as blessed as we have been as Christians in America, I think if we're honest, it's really starting to not feel like home anymore, is it? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. But it's times like death and, and disease and wildfires and political turmoil and racial strife and pandemics and moral confusion and increasing violence that reminds us that we don't really have a home here. And as long as we try to make our home here, we'll become increasingly frustrated. And the, those who do try to make their home here will become increasingly desperate. We don't have to have it that way. God reminds us at the end of every year that we have hope. The advent of Christ is the advent of hope. Real, solid, enduring hope. A hope that remains fixed even as things around us get increasingly worse. A hope that's our home and our refuge as we become increasingly homeless. As increasingly we don't have a place for refuge. God wants to renew your hope. God wants to renew your hope. So let's turn to his word and see the ways that he gives us hope this morning. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One of the things that we're trying to teach Willa right now, and if you have any child that's 18 and younger, is patience. Uh, and so uh, right now, typically when she wants more food, she really she makes like this whining noise, and she just does it constantly until you give her food. You know, she just, uh, 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 like just more just whining. Uh, and so what makes it harder is that we've taught her to say please. But instead of instead of just whining like over and over to get her food, she just says pee when she wants food, which is really hard to say no to. But what we're trying to teach her, no matter how much she wants it, is that sometimes she has to wait. So no matter how much we might want something done, even if it's an undeniably good thing, sometimes we have to wait. And that's why first, our hope, or we have hope in His timing. We have hope in His timing. Paul writes in verse 4, But when the, time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Think about that. Have you ever wondered why God sent Jesus when He did? Like, why did we have to go through the flood and slavery in Egypt and exodus and exile before you sent Jesus. Why not just send Jesus and then like and then let everything else happen, but at least Jesus is already there. Why why send him at all after all of that? It's like when someone is really long-winded and you wonder why they make such a small point and they use so many words to make it, like just just say the point and you'll save yourself all this other trouble. I I'm not referring to myself. So you kind of wonder that, like, why go through all this to send Jesus? Why not just send Jesus first? And, and I think I could go through many reasons why the coming of Christ was timely and good, right? So the Roman Empire made travel really accessible. Uh, Greek was the common language of the day, so it made uh, communicating a lot easier. But it's like my favorite Christmas song says, Oh, oh Holy Night. There's a lyric in it that goes, A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The world was weary. Remember, we're the ones who chose sin. We're the ones who chose to have a love affair with sin. We're the ones who chose it for our happiness. And God let the human race discover just how lousy of a partner sin is. Like when I was in college and and lived a lifestyle of sin, God let me become miserable. God let sin grind me into dust. The world was weary. And at just the right time, God sent His Son. But here's the thing. 
I don't think it always makes sense when God does what he does. I don't think it makes sense from our perspective, right? So why does God let some things happen? Why can one couple have babies and why are we infertile? Why doesn't God come through sooner? Why allow people to go through certain kinds of pain? And sometimes the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. But Advent teaches us that we have hope in a God who acts. We don't understand all of His ways. We don't understand all of His thoughts. But our hope is that God is always doing 10,000 things of which we are not aware And that he is at work to transfix you and the world with his grace in Christ. Why did God choose to let us live at a time like 2020? We don't know, but we have hope in his timing. His timing to let what happens to you happen to you. And his timing to rescue you. We have hope in His timing. But our hope isn't in a God who is distant. Our hope isn't in a God as if God is sitting in the clouds watching all of this happen, kind of back and helpless. We have a God who comes near. So near, in fact, that He becomes like us. That's why, secondly, we have hope in His humanity. Paul writes in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We believe in an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who needs nothing and who needs no one who descended to His creation to become like one of His creatures. The writer of Hebrew tells us that he, Jesus, was made like us in every respect. So the one who doesn't, who for eternity never needed oxygen, got a pair of lungs. The one who created all things by the word of his power got splinters, became one who got splinters when he was building tables as a carpenter. The God who never knew hunger for an eternity became one who starved in a desert. The God who owns all of creation became one who didn't have a place to lay his head. The God who knew no pain for eternity became one who suffered on a cross. Daniel McLeod wrote, Jesus lived not in sublime detachment or in pious isolation, but with us. As the fellow man of all men, Crowded, busy, harassed, stressed, and molested. No large estate gave him space. No financial capital guaranteed his daily bread. No personal staff protected him from interruptions. And no power or influence protected him from injustice. He saved us from alongside us. D.A. Carson goes on to say, Jesus, there... Jesus would not use his powers to turn stones into bread for himself. 
That would have been to forgo his identification with human beings and therefore to abandon his mission. For human beings do not have instant access to such solutions. His mission prohibited him from applying to himself the prerogatives that were rightly his. But if that mission required him to multiply loaves for the sake of 5,000, he did so. There's no one like Jesus. You might be tempted to despair. You might be tempted to give up on hope right now. But remember, there's no one like Jesus. To whom will you go? Our hope this year is that the God whose timing we trust is the God whose closeness we confide in. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is not detached from your suffering and pain. God is not detached from your hopelessness. God, in Christ, He is married to your suffering and pain. In Christ, your suffering and your pain become His. Psalm 68, 19. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. He cares enough to stoop down and carry your small daily burdens. He cared enough to stoop down to a cross and bear the ultimate burden of your sinfulness. Our hope is in His humanity. His suffering, sympathizing, saving humanity. Hebrews tells us He is able to sympathize with all who draw to Him in their weakness. Our hope is in His humanity. And Christ, what becomes yours, becomes His. Your suffering, your pain, and your sin become His. restart Christ is married to your pain and your suffering and so in Christ what is yours become becomes his your pain your suffering your sin becomes his and conversely what's his becomes yours so that's why lastly we have hope in his inheritance Paul says Christ came to redeem those who were under the law why so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One thing that is ours, uh, that belongs to Christ, is sonship. John 1 says it like this, But to all who did receive Him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. The right to be called a child of God, the right to be called the son of God belongs exclusively to Christ. Nobody else has that right, but in Christ, the right to be called children of God also becomes ours. A right. 
We're not a son of God in the same way that Jesus is, but our sonship is as secure as his. We're not a a son or daughter of God in the same way that Jesus is, but our sonship, our childhood is as secure as Jesus's is. In fact, our relationship to God as our father is the same nature as Christ's. Only Christ occupies the unique position to be able to call God Abba, Father. Only Christ occupies that position, but in Christ, we are now in that position as well to be able to call God Abba, Father. Because you are sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of Christ now dwells in us. Stephen Wellam wrote, Our use of the term is made possible only because of the Son in relation to His Father. Christ's relationship with the Father is eternally unique, but now we are invited to participate in that relationship eternally. It's like when we adopted Willa. The, door, the court declaration said that it's as if, as if Mallory had given birth to her, as if we had been pregnant with her all along. She's a Covington, and it's as if she's always been. My ancestors are now her ancestors. That's how we are in Christ. And while it's true, while it's true that we're adopted as sons and daughters, Paul's use of the term here for sons is is really important. Remember, in this culture, sonship meant everything, right? You inherit the family name. You inherit the family trade, the family history, the family inheritance. And so the daughter's only hope was marrying the son, right? Marrying a son. She was tied to marrying a son who had this inheritance. But as Russell Moore pointed out in his book, Adopted for Life, Paul is calling all of us sons. We all, we all now have the rights and privileges of sonship. Which means we have the right and the privilege of an inheritance. Paul calls us heirs through God. And while God will provide us with riches and a city with streets paved with gold, the focus isn't so much on riches, but on what they represent. Our inheritance is an eternity of secure stability with unhindered enjoyment of the riches that are ours in the Father. That's our inheritance. Eternity of security and stability and the enjoyment of delighting in our Father God. No, this world is not our home. America is not our home. We weren't promised it would last forever. But that's exactly why we have an inheritance. Hebrews 12 says, For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Christ is our hope. Our hope is in what Christ has secured for us. Not in life going the way that we want. Not in this place getting more cozy for us. 
Our hope isn't not in this world becoming more cozy, more settled, more at home. Our hope is in what Christ has secured for us, an enduring city, an inheritance. We can lose everything here. We can lose everything possible that strips us of what it means to be human. Everything. Because we already have everything secured for us in Christ and by Christ. Our hope is in His inheritance. We're homeless, but that doesn't mean we're hopeless. We might be the most homeless of all. We might find ourselves to be the most rejected, most outcast, most isolated of all, but we have the deepest hope of all. The advent of Christ is the advent of hope. When we have every reason to give up on hope, when, when every reason stares us in the face and says, you have no hope, we still have hope in Christ. When, when it is objectively true, hope is done for you, you have hope in Christ. And this hope is available through repentance and faith. It's available through repenting of your sins and placing your trust in this Christ. This hope can be yours. Do that today. Turn to Christ today. Others live with no hope. You can see how that comes out. It comes out in violence. It comes out in anger. It comes out in increasing desperation to, to see things done the way that you want them to. That's what it looks like to have no hope. And, and honestly, they, the world, they don't have a reason to have hope. They don't have reason to hope that things will get better. But we do. Hope is yours, Christian. It is. Grasp it anew by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no one like you who in eternity past planned all of this to enter into humanity to grow and learn. Who is so powerful you can create simply with words you chiseled away at a piece of wood. and Grueling minute after grueling minute splinters. You learned what it meant to be hungry and to thirst and to be tired. You know, you learned what it meant to suffer, to share in human pain. Lord, you are a God of hope. There is no one like you. There is no one like you, and you are a fountain of hope for when we are hopeless. Lord, I I know what it is like to not see hope, to not find hope. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, but Lord Jesus, the truth remains that hope is found in you. Help us by faith to grasp our hope in you anew. 
Lord, help us to look for our enduring city, our enduring inheritance. Help us, Lord, to look to our full and final adoptions as sons through what you have accomplished. Help us to live as people of hope who have no fear of loss, have no fear of of things not going a certain way because we have hope in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.